Hello everyone and welcome to Next Generation Saints. I'm your host, Nick Coons. Before we get started today, I want to go ahead and remind everyone to like and subscribe to this podcast. We're going to be listening to podcasts. It helps get into the algorithm and out into the rest of the world so people can hear the word of God. So today is going to be another Give Me an Answer with Pastors Cliff and Stuart Connectly from Grace Community Church in New Canaan, Connecticut. A student is asking them, how is God talking to God? Interesting question, isn't it? Let's go ahead and dive into this one and get an answer. Guess what? Before you heard about Christ, God's Holy Spirit was drawing you to God. And those who've never heard about Christ, God's Holy Spirit is drawing them to God. Now exactly how God is going to judge those who've never heard about Christ, I do not know. Because Christ never specifically addresses the question, but the Bible does clearly say that there are going to be a boatload of people in heaven who never heard the word Jesus Christ. But those people are only going to be in heaven because Christ bled and died on a cross. How do you know the words in the Gospels are actually the words of Jesus? Ooh, great question. So firstly, you got to come to starting out with, did Jesus exist? So did he exist with the historical documents of the Gospels? Are they telling the truth? And then what about the 10 extant extra-biblical sources we had just within the first 100 years where life, his life ended, and then we had post-100 years all of these different writers that actually went up to 25, 150 years out, talking about him. So we could say, most likely, the dude existed. So start there, and then you got to go to, okay, well, we have enthusiasts who talked about what his words were, what he said. Yes, he spoke in Aramaic, but eventually they were written down in Greek. So there was some translation going on there. And people would say, well, see, his his buddies, or a friend of a buddy, who wrote these words claiming these are, this is what he said. So it can't be true. What? What in the, what in the world? There are many baseball enthusiasts who've written books on baseball. And just because they're baseball enthusiasts who perhaps knew Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, doesn't mean they were lying about their statistics and the amount of home runs they hit. (laughs) So we got to get that out out of our minds. And even then, there were enemies of Jesus who were writing about him and some things he said. But it's way clearer we have because of the amount of sources in the New Testament who did reference things he said. And then the amount of manuscripts. 20,000 plus manuscripts in Greek and Latin and other languages talking about here's what he said. All agreeing. It's only later on that you get the Gnostics or the Apocrypha where all of a sudden you see some dissimilarities and then you have to weigh that. So, who Jesus was, who were these guys who were writing? The other part is they were enthusiasts And they were also very credible characters within that day and age. Now, yes, did Peter, for example, deny and come back and then his character was was renewed? Yes, they were sinners at the same time. But no, you've got a a guy like Luke, incredibly renowned, well-known guy in the community as a doctor writing to excellent Theophilus, who was another well-known, brilliant guy, most likely a, a businessman, in the community. Then you have internally within them, you say, okay, well, I'm still not convinced. What, you got four, five, six sources there, if you in- include Paul? 
And then you got his 13 writings. Well, I'm still not really convinced, though. All right, fine. Look within the documents themselves. You've got footnotes, Simon of Cyrene, Malchus, Rufus. You've got all these different guys, the 500 that you could go to, all these different women, the women at the tomb themselves. Go to and check with them. See, so it's not just a few dudes writing about Jesus saying, yeah, this is exactly what he said. No, there's endless amounts of people within these historical documents and outside who have these claims and then talk about what he said. But don't forget, last point. Let's say some of them got a few of his words wrong. That doesn't discount what happened at the tomb. Either he actually rose from the dead or not. You could take away the Bible. There was no Bible. And there were thousands upon thousands of Christians who existed before those documents. So you take away the Bible and you take away perhaps perfect translations of these specific gospel writers, and you still fully have what is most important intact with his claims, and that he pulled it off through the resurrection. Before Jesus was crucified, he prayed to his father, correct? Correct. So I'm kind of just confused on like, if he was fully God, how yep. was he speaking to God? Good question. God is spirit, which means you cannot confine God to a torso, two arms, and two legs, and a head. God is not a material object. God is a spiritual being. That is why God can be in New York City and San Marcos, Texas at the same time. He's not limited to the physical. Jesus Christ claimed that this God who is spirit chose to humble himself and become a human being. Which means, God the Son, Jesus, limited himself. But that's the key right there. He chose to limit himself and confine himself to a body. Which means, when they nailed his hands to a wooden beam on a cross, it really hurt. He wasn't just a spirit floating around. It means he really got hungry and that's why he ate. It means he understood what it was like to be rejected, to be scorned, the same way you and I know what it's like to be rejected and scorned. So he was really a human being, but he was more than a human being. He was the eternal God who is spirit. So was he like praying to himself? Good. All right. When Jesus walked on earth, heaven was not empty. Jesus is not all of God. Jesus is part of God, God the Son, who humbled himself, took upon himself a body, but he was not just a man. He was God in human form, but he wasn't all of God. That's why he talks to his Father, that's why he talks about the Holy Spirit. Does that make any sense? Yeah, my other question is, I see like a lot of like stories from the Bible and like kind of like miracles, I guess. And I was kind of just wondering, why does it seem like God was more present back then than he is now? Okay, I don't know if that is... makes sense or if it's like a weird question, but it kind of just seems like, like back then everything yes. was like more present than it is now. Good point. All right. The Bible is ESPN highlights. The Bible is not, oh, God is turning water into wine at every party in Jerusalem, yeah. right? No, at specific unique times 
God performs a miracle. The reason we call it a miracle is because it is not natural. In other words, it does not happen on a regular basis. It is unique. Does that make any sense? Now, what is a miracle? A miracle is the God who created the natural world intervening and changing or adding to a natural law. If I put $1,000 in my top bureau drawer today, next week I put another $1,000 in that top bureau drawer, and then two weeks from now I open the drawer and there's only 100 bucks in there. Have the laws of mathematics changed? No. The laws of mathematics are not changed. One plus one thousand dollars plus one thousand dollars does not equal one hundred dollars. One thousand dollars plus one thousand dollars equals two thousand dollars. So what does that mean happened in my top bureau drawer? Someone stole it. Exactly. There was a thief that was introduced. It does not mean that the laws of mathematics changed and all of a sudden now 1,000 plus 1,000 equals 100. So the miracle is not God changing a natural law. A miracle is the hand of God intervening and changing something. Does that make any sense? Okay, what don't you like about that? <laughs> I was just kind of confused, I guess. Yeah. It is confusing. All right, let's say this is an apple tree. We're standing under here, and apples start disengaging from the branch. What happens 100 times out of 100 to the apple? Where does it go? Hits the ground. Why? Because the law of gravity is consistent. It doesn't change in five minutes. The law of gravity is a natural law, and we live in, a, fortunately, a world where gravity works. If gravity didn't work in five minutes, he and I and she would be in a lot of trouble. A lot of trouble. But if while we're standing under here, the apple disengages and the gravity pulls it down to the ground, but my hand reaches out and catches the apple, does the apple hit the ground? No. Nothing has changed about the law of gravity. What has changed is the introduction of a hand my hand and I catch the apple. That's what a miracle is. A miracle is not a contradiction of science. It's not a contradiction of natural law. It is a statement that there is more than just natural law. There's a supernatural being who can intervene. Not only that, Jesus was born of a virgin. Oh man, Cliff, you gotta be an idiot to believe that. Don't you know biology? Yes, I know biology a little bit. I'm not a biologist. What is the virgin birth of Christ all about? It's not about nine months of miracles. It's not what it's about. It's about one instant God fertilized an egg in Mary. Then what happened? More miracles? No. There's nine months of gestation inside Mary's womb. Very natural. What happened to all of us? Nine months of gestation. The miracle occurred when God performed something very beyond nature, 
and had that egg be fertilized in Mary's womb. Does that make sense? Thank you, ma'am, for raising those issues. You don't have to believe in God to do good things. Now, what I've been arguing, though, is if there is no God, the good things that the atheist does are not objectively good, they're subjectively good. Which means, if I'm an atheist, and I define being a good person as, respect this woman today. Good. That's my choice. But if tomorrow I say, disrespect this woman, because that's good. I'm not wrong tomorrow. I'm not right today. Why? Because good and evil are all just a choice. Do you like broccoli or do you like asparagus? Just a prejudice. Do you like respecting someone's property and not stealing it or stealing it? Just a taste. And if today your taste is don't steal, great. But if tomorrow your taste is, yeah, I'm going to steal, equally good, because it's all relative. Hebrews 11.6. Yeah. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Not contradicting anything that I've said. Now. The interesting question about Hebrews 11.6 is, why does it say, without faith, it's impossible to please God? I mean, why is God so hung up about faith? Ma'am, it is real, real simple. My name's Cliff. What's your name? Ava. Ava, good to meet you. All right, Ava, we have this dialogue. If I have faith in you a little bit, I, after our conversation, will do this, and I'll walk away. If I don't have faith of you, I will not do that. I will do this. Because I don't know whether you have a knife in your back pocket or a gun, and you might blow me away. Now, what is that a statement of? If I do this, it means I think you are a scoundrel. I think you are one warped person. I think it's possible that you might stick a knife in my back. Because it's a statement of your character, how I view your character. But if I have evidence that you're not a scoundrel, not a murderer, then after our wonderful conversation, I'll turn around and walk away. And what I'm doing is I'm complimenting your character. I'm saying, you're not going to stick it to me. You see how important faith is? If you don't have faith in your roommate, you're an idiot if you go to sleep tonight without checking your roommate's pockets to make sure they don't have a knife or a gun that they're going to stick you with tonight when you're asleep. But if the evidence is Texas State does not accept criminals into the student body, you don't have to check your roommate's pockets before you go to sleep. Does that make sense? Stuart, what do you think? Well, we've had a big misinterpretation, unfortunately, just starting in the last 10 years in our country and starting at the beginning of this week when, when we've started talking that we see a lot. And it's what's the definition of faith? And what's the faith that God desires for us to have in order for us to spend eternity with Him? We can see those through the Bible, and they're all historically accurate. Beautiful. So when Jesus does talk frequently about believe based off of the evidence of the miracles themselves, that's not blind faith, right? Because He says evidence. He says, here are the miracles, believe in Me, and believe what I've come to do based off of the evidence of these miracles, the supernatural. 
Now, oddly enough, billions of miracle claims, the supernatural acting, have been made in this world just in the last few years. So are we going to say that all of those miracle claims to the supernatural are totally false? And people are either hallucinating, having a drug trip, flat out lying. No, I, I think there's greater evidence that some of those people, not all, probably had some type of supernatural encounter. Just look at the study of, of near-death experiences coming out of Duke University. Tons of peer-reviewed re journals now based off of near-death experiences that people are having out of Duke. Pretty good school. Pretty scientific. Scientifically driven in nature. So it's not blind faith. But I, I don't think you are saying, even though you are saying, blind faith. I think you're saying there's evidence that your brain exists. I don't, have you had brain surgery before? Uh, uh, no. Okay, so nobody can prove that your brain exists then. Nobody has physically touched it. But there's great evidence for how you're talking in a very intellectually sophisticated way, how you're thinking, how you're reasoning, and being rational. Well, I think there's more evidence that a rational creator created your rational mind rather than it just popped into existence out of nothing. Or that it somehow just slowly evolved from this primal soup that gets to the point of you being this incredibly rational person who dresses yourself very nicely and can think and reason about life, meaning, purpose, have consciousness, abstract, difficult types of concepts that you deal with. I mean, what's more rational? I mean, if you're saying all of your thinking is just because of your atoms bouncing around in different ways, well then how can you have belief that even those atoms are existing, because even that should be made up. So when somebody says, oh, it's just blind faith, this faith you have in God, no, there's way more blind faith for me when it comes to being an atheist saying that the rational comes from the irrational. How do you answer to the fact that there's so many sects, like the Catholics, there's the... Hello everyone, welcome back to Next Generation Saints. I hope you guys really enjoyed this episode with Give Me an Answer by Pastors Cliff and Stuart Connectly. I hope it blessed you and it furthered your faith in Jesus Christ and answered some questions. As always, I want to go ahead and remind everyone to like and subscribe to this podcast. Wherever you may be listening to podcasts, it helps to get out into the rest of the world so we can all hear the word of God. So, until next time, we meet again. May God richly bless y'all, my dearly beloved.